You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by today's message. Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke. Luke chapter 7. The words will be on the screen. I know it's a little hard, especially sometimes when we're singing. It's like you really got to find the good spot, right? But let me just, let me just remind you, y'all could just move up as well. The aisles are good. You can move around. You could scoot. Oh, that person's tall in front. Just scoot over. We got some room. We're a small church, but you could still, there's still room, all right? So, um, man, it, 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 like I said, it's been really good, uh, just a season of fasting. And it seems from the fast and from our prayer meetings and really where God has been leading us, we're getting out of this season of prayer and fasting with an exhortation to do more evangelism and more outreach as a church. I don't know if you feel that. If you feel that strength as you've pursued God, he's built your spirit up. You want other people to know about him, to know his love and his grace. The things that we've been experiencing as we've been just pursuing him in this fast, it's been so good and a season of fasting. And what I want to talk to you about is coming out of the season of fasting into a season of normality, of discipleship, of putting in the work in a different way. We've been fasting What do we do now when we're going to be feasting? Back to the meals. Because I think sometimes we can over-spiritualize certain aspects. We connect with God in different ways. Some of us love prayer. Going on prayer walks, seeing the sunset, the ocean, creation. That's like our, our jam with God. And we're like, this is amazing. Other people love music. Or some people just love the Greek and the Hebrew and studying God's word. We sometimes can emphasize one spiritual discipline to find intimacy with God. And we forget God wants to use all of it, our entire lives. And that's okay, but we just need to recognize that and realize that. And so today I want to talk to you about being on mission with meals. Being on mission with meals, from fasting to eating. How do now we go from normality and eating food and the gift of hospitality to reach people for Jesus in our everyday life? And I want to read this text from you about Jesus and how he did it. Because Jesus used something ordinary as meals, which I hope that you eat regularly, okay, to make disciples and to love people. And as we're even interceding and praying for friends and family, we need to understand that God wants to use us to love people. And we can do that, not add another thing to our calendar, not get so busy and caught up and say, okay, what spiritual gift do I need? And what about this practice in a big event? It's not event oriented. It's you have to eat to survive. And God had actually used that as he put on flesh, being God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus, to do a lot of ministry. And we know he is our example. And so I want to sort of guide us in this season to not just think about evangelism and outreach as event-driven, but a life-given to the Lord and to other people in love. Because we've been doing crazy amount of events and it's been awesome. But there's seasons and there's pace and there's ups and there's downs. And there's going to be highs and lows in your life. And God wants to walk you through all of them and have you effective for his glory in all of them. And I think this is just something I I love about Jesus, how he walked with us and gave us this example. Because we all eat. Some more than others, but we all eat. Luke chapter 7, verse 33 through 35. The text that I want to look at is this. It's Jesus speaking. And it's, he says, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. John came in a sense of fasting 
setting him aside his self. If you know John the Baptist, we'll look into the context. He was out in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord, preaching in a, in a unique way. It was a special way. It drew a lot of attention. And he came eating no bread, drinking no wine. And this is what you said about him. He has a demon. He's crazy. That's what they said, the Pharisees. He's speaking to these leaders about John the Baptist because they did not want to hear what he had to say. So in verse 34, Jesus says, well, the son of man, and this is a reference to himself, has come eating and drinking. So he did drink some wine. He ate some bread. And you say about him, look at him, a glutton and a drunker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So what is it? Do you eat or do you not eat? Because they had criticism on either, either way. We fast and we feast. We do both things. But Jesus then says, yet wisdom is justified by her children. The proof's in the pudding. You can look at my life and you can see the fruit or wisdom being justified by her children, the fruit of that wisdom. Well, let's do a little context and work from this passage to sort of get a little bit more of what's happening. Jesus is talking to religious leaders. He's talking to people as he's having another meal with sinners, tax collectors. And he was glorifying God in the everyday life of things, um, like a meal. You know that Jesus' ministry, he would go and children would interrupt him and he would spend time with children. A uh, woman at the well, would he go specifically out of his way to meet with her, to spend time with her. He would meet people in these interesting places of tragedy or in the temple or just wherever they were at. All sorts of people in the everyday life. And one of the things he did often was meals and met people and was very intentional of how he spent time on this earth doing ministry for God's glory. And it was a pattern for us and you and I to sort of look back and as we read through the gospel in his life, you almost get the sense of like Jesus is just a, a normal person. But yet he's so abnormal because he's full of hope, he's full of life, he's just so intentional. And it should spark our attention because he's trying to say, hey, wisdom is justified by our children. The proof's in the pudding. I want you to understand as I'm living this way, um, it's super important because you'll see the fruit of my actions. Now, this is hard sometimes for us to believe because um, we, as Americans especially, we think bigger is better. We always think bigger is better. If it's, if we want to see the fruit immediately, but that's not how agriculture works. You put a seed in the ground, Jesus said, it dies, and out of that, something rises up. It bears a tree, and then there's fruit, and it takes time, and it's a process. And Jesus actually didn't have a public ministry for his first 30 years. He was preparing himself. He was walking with God. It was this guy out of Nazarene that made a huge impact for the world. And we have to understand this because many of us, we think, well, if I was just a pastor or a missionary coming in, like those are the people that God wants to use. But in reality, Jesus is saying, I'm coming not like John the Baptist, who was this big deal doing a crazy amount of cool things. I'm coming for the everyday common man. So you can see you can be used by God as well too. You can be used by God as well. Jesus is correcting their false thinking here. And we actually have to come alongside of what Jesus says to these leaders for our own mindset. 
Because John the Baptist was a little weird. If you read in other places, he's John the Baptizer. He was baptizing people out in the desert. He didn't eat bread, but he ate some crickets, some bugs. Nasty Latin, like, like just a guy that was just like this preacher, just rebuking people. And he was very gifted. It said crowds came out. And like we're seeing his ministry, he was making great impact. And in fact, in, in chapter 7, verse 28, if you have a physical Bible, you see a few verses before, Jesus actually exhorts John the Baptist as a minister. And that's a good thing. It's good to have events. It's good to have people that have a great capacity and anointing that are super special. And that's awesome. He actually says, I tell you among those born of women, none is greater than John. But yet because John looked weird and was unusual, the religious leaders thought he had a demon. God didn't give us the, the heads up on this guy. And you know, we can actually in our hearts idolize people like John the baptizer that are unique, that are special, that may even be weird. You know those people, like they just sneeze and people get saved. They're just evangelists. They just, hey, you're talking to a stranger and all of a sudden they're just, the person's crying and they're weeping. You're like, that ain't me. Or maybe those unusual people, the people that are able to talk in front of a crowd and not cry. I think if I put half of, your, half of this room up here and tried to speak, they would just give up and just cry. They wouldn't, they don't like, that's just a, like you think of like a pastor or an evangelist or even a prophet that hears from the Lord and you're like, wow, this is incredible. And they have visions and dreams. You're like, not me. I'm not like that. That is not my gift. I thank God that there are other gifts. That's not me. John the baptizer is one of those people. And in our minds, we can even idolize, like, let's just bring those people that we know about Jesus to church so they can hear the gospel. Because surely Pastor Daniel's anointed. Or this person, they could talk to that person. Because, like, I'm not as gifted or as special. I'm not unique or I don't have that capacity. Normal, normally, religious people didn't associate with sinners, with drinking and eating and, and having joy. And so they combat their false thinking with John the Baptist, but then they look at Jesus and they're like, well, that ain't it either. Because he's eating and he's drinking. And there was this great problem. Jesus was too normal, not gifted enough. You know, Isaiah talks about that there was nothing like special about his body, his refrain. It wasn't like he was Saul in the Old Testament who stood a, a foot above everyone else and was super special. And you just said, wow, that is Jesus right there. No, it was within his character that drew people. It was inside, not his outward shape or his outward body. Jesus accepted people based off of his love and not their behaviors. He gave grace and that drew people in. He did something that both you and I are called to do and can do. It's just simply love people where they were at. So much so he went to tax collectors, which would be basically like the betrayals, the betrayers of the day, or sinners, the rejects, the marginalized, people that aren't good enough to go to heaven. He hung out with that crowd. And he said, you're loved. God loves you. I'm with you. I'm for it. Let's have a meal. Let's have fellowship. Let's break bread. Let's be friends. See, because what we have to understand is for Jesus, doing lunch was doing theology. Now, theology is the great study of God, but doing lunch for Jesus was theology because God became man in flesh through Jesus. John 1, 14, 1 and 1 and 114 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. 
The word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus said in John 6, 38, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus practically shows us with his life what God would be like because he was God. Colossians 1 says he is the the image of the invisible God for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Hebrews talks about the same thing. He's the exact imprint, the nature. If you want to know what God looks like, we look to Jesus for he's God in flesh, Emmanuel, and God himself, Jesus, ate with people went to where they were at. Didn't just reject them, but he welcomed them. And in Luke chapter seven, it says he welcomed the sinners. Sin just means rebellion against God. So he literally welcomed his enemies. That's the capacity that Jesus had is a love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the Bible says. He loves those that are far, not only from him, but that are opposing him like the tax collectors would be opposing the law of God and give their alliance to Rome rather than the law of God in Israel. And yet he's with them, eating and drinking, coming down to them. And people were uncomfortable by how gracious and merciful Jesus was. This is really what you see. These authorities and figures were very uncomfortable because Jesus welcomed sinners In Luke chapter 7, but in Luke chapter 19, the end of his ministry, sinners were welcoming him. This is actually what caused his ministry to grow. Because beggars and blind men were coming up to him and saying, we have nothing to offer. We need your grace. And the Bible says when we need God's grace, he pours it out. In our humility, he gives even more. But these Pharisees, they they wanted to to, to lift themselves up and be in pride. But God says he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so Jesus comes in such a sweet, loving way. And people even called Jesus names because they were uncomfortable. Look, this glutton. Look at at this wine-bibber, a friend of the tax tax collectors and sinners. Now, we embrace this because all have fallen short of the glory of God. And see, what this church is is just a group of sinners saved by God's grace. That's what God's people is, snatched from darkness into light, not by what we've done, but what he's done. So when we see a word like he's a friend of sinners or he eats with tax collectors and rejects and marginalized, we're like, thank God, because that's who I am. And we praise God for that. They were trying to give him a, a, a reject and a, a um, uh, this was not a compliment for God. This was not a compliment to Jesus. But I could see the father's heart in this, smiling and saying, thank you. Thank you. Because you see, a meal has to do more than food. A meal has to do more than food. You can have great food, but not a great meal. Have you ever experienced that before? Maybe there's tension at the dining room table. God would actually give us a taste of what fellowship is like with him. You know, there's a proverb 15, 17. It says this, better is a, 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 diner, a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Meaning it's better to have a little bit of food and even just a salad with people you love and fellowship 
than a huge prime rib or steak and there's tension and friction and hate within the dining room table. And so when you experience that, when you know that, when you get mature, you're like, sometimes as a parent, it's not about the food, i.e. we took our kids yesterday to a Mexican restaurant and I knew that they were not gonna like it and I took them anyway because I just love them and I wanted to spend time with them. They ate the chips and salsa, God bless them. And half the food they ate, we tried it, they didn't eat it, I didn't even get mad. Because I've been so busy this week and I've been out of town and doing stuff. I was like, I just want to spend time with you. It's not about the food. I just want to be with you. When you think about Jesus, do you think that it was so important that he had to have the perfect plate of food? I like my steak medium well, medium done. Like, no, it doesn't even talk about what he ate. It says who he ate with. Oftentimes we're so concerned with our behavior, our this or that. God is so concerned about you, wanting to be with you, spending time with you. Not, okay, God, I did this or I did that. No, he's just gracious. He just wants to be with people. And a better is a dinner with herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. A meal has to do so much more than food. So when Jesus eats a meal with someone, it's not just because he needs to eat a good meal like he needs nutrition for his body, he's actually doing something that's very loving. Now, there's a great book that I'd recommend if I can on the podcast, or I'll put the link so you can get it, but it's by Tim Chester. He's written a couple of books, but it's called A Meal with Jesus. And uh, it just expresses so much love and how he made disciples through meals. He says this in this book, few acts are more expressive of companionship than the shared meal. Someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on the way of becoming one. Don't you find that to be true? You want to spend time with someone. You want to have a meal with them. Usually, uh, if you're dating someone to get to know them, you want to go and get a meal because in a meal, you can express your heart. You can talk. In fact, the word companion, we know in our English language comes from Latin. It's come, which means together, and panis, which means bread. Coming together over bread literally is how you translate the word companion. Because it's so culturally important that we share our hearts and our lives, and eating a meal is something that's so unique and so based off of fellowship. It's, and they're recognizing this. They're saying Jesus is a friend of sinners. He loved people by eating a meal with them, by coming together over bread. That's how you have intimacy. And Jesus, by his grace, would come and go and have intimate times with people that didn't deserve his fellowship, but he loved them anyway. And it reminds us that God meets us in our place, that we don't deserve his love, but he comes and meets us in our everyday life. The son of man has come eating and drinking, they said. Eating and drinking. That should be so unique, so special, so relatable. Because if you love food, if you love relationships, if you just, I mean, what a word picture God gives us. He gives us many word pictures about food. If you remember the Old Testament, there's a, many word pictures of like feast. Jesus even said, I'm the bread of life. There's this great feast in heaven. God wanted us to know that he came eating and drinking but it wasn't about the food or the drink. It was about the people. 
And I think we have to understand when we eat with people, it's about the people, not necessarily just the food. Is there a place for food? Absolutely. And if you guys all want to take me out to dinner, you know, five stars, you know, restaurant, Michelin, that's great. I'll accept it. We'll go. It's be amazing. But at the same time, we can still have fellowship and go to McDonald's or just have a bagel and hang out. And it's important for us to understand it was so much more than just the food. Because meals are ordinary, so ordinary that you could even forget about them. You can forget that this is a means of ministry for you. Spending time with people while having food with them. You see, God uses everything. We're spiritual beings and we think sometimes church could even be more spiritual than having a meal. But the reality is our body needs food. And we're not just spiritual beings, we're physical beings. So much so that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and promises to give us a new resurrected body if we put our faith in him. We're gonna rise and have bodies like Christ. You will always have a body with Jesus. He cares about your body right now. He gave you that. And if you have a lack of sleep or um, lack of nutrition and food, it's gonna affect the way that you think, affect your body and how you even behave as a human being. And oftentimes we try to over-spiritualize everything like, well, if I just pray, if I just, no, sometimes, bro, you just need to take a nap. You're just tired. You're just not stewarding what God has given you. And I think sometimes it's so common, it's overlooked. Food is neither good nor bad, just like money is neither good nor bad. It depends on how you use it. And Jesus used something as ordinary as meals and food to live on mission and make disciples. And what I'm telling you is you can do the same thing to love people. As we come out of this fast and we start feasting and having meals, don't overlook the greatest strategy that Jesus used was eating food with people to make disciples. It doesn't sound very glamorous. You usually probably eat two or three, four meals a day. But if you study the gospel of Luke, they're full of stories of Jesus eating with people. Listen to this. In Luke chapter five, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. In Luke chapter seven, we're studying, he was actually anointed at the house of Simon, the Pharisee, during a meal. Luke chapter nine, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke chapter 10, Jesus eats at home with Martha and Mary. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and teaches of the law at a meal. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than they're just their friends. Luke chapter 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. It's like Zacchaeus wanted to have a relationship with him. And you know Jesus' response? I'm going to come over to your house and eat a meal. Because it's not about food. It's about fellowship and about being with you. Luke chapter 22, we have an account of what's called as the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper. He has a meal right before the cross and institute communion with them. Luke chapter 24, the risen Christ has a meal with two disciples in the road of Emmaus. And then later which I love this, he eats fish with his disciples in Jerusalem. So that means even the resurrected body, we're going to have meals in heaven. There's going to be a great feast and food. It's like Jesus is just constantly eating meals. I love what Robert Karras, he's a, a commentator and a theologian. He says this, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal 
at a meal are coming from a meal. Did you guys ever even think about that? As you read the gospels, like all these large events and teachings are at tables, at meals. Think about as a parent how important it is to eat a meal with your child and how much you could teach them at a dinner table. Jesus did ministry at many meals because meals were a part of his life. Another guy, which I think this is amazing, he's a theologian and a chef. Incredible. God bless that man and hope he makes a meal for me. Simon Carey Holt says, it's good to be reminded that the table is a very ordinary place, a place of routine, and, and every day it's easily overlooked as a place of ministry. Again, Tim Chester in his book says, mills bring mission into the ordinary, but that's where most people are, living in the ordinary. God wants us to love people to make disciples in our everyday life, and we even see from the birth of the church this great community where they were having fellowship, where they were having God's word and prayer, devoting themselves to prayer, and they were breaking bread together, Acts 2.42. We can use meals to be on mission just like Jesus. Don't overlook that. You can be on mission. This can be your primary strategy to love people into the kingdom through the ordinary. You don't have to be, in a sense, the John the baptizer the guy with all the gifts, the big crowds. I think Jesus, he did pretty well as far as getting the world's attention, didn't he? He did that through dinner tables and conversations. You can make an impact through dinners and conversations as you herald the good news and express the love of Christ to people that you are companions with as you break bread. Now, I wanna give you three ways to look at meals as opportunities of the gospel and discipleship as we sort of think about Jesus' example for us to practically hit home. You can use meals for community and conversation. Community is a real need, especially I think in South Florida, as most people are transient, they're coming in, whether it be from uh, South America, a different country, or just even general. Like I think in 2022, Florida was one of the highest states that people were moving to rather than leaving, okay? So we have a lot of transients and we actually can use hospitality. It's a real need. The Bible says that we were made in the image of God, a triune God, and we were built for fellowship and community. And that's why COVID was so devastating because it was telling us to isolate and to separate. When God actually made us to come together and have fellowship, so much so he says, don't forsake the fellowship of the brethren because you stir one another up in good deeds. You build one another up. You're better together. And mills foster relationship and community. Mills force people to be people-oriented rather than task-oriented. I mean, yes, you have to have the task of making the meal, but then you just sit and you eat and you talk and you converse. You can't hide behind a project or doing something. Being with people is the thing. That's what a meal naturally brings. It exposes people through conversation. For Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you have a meal, it's a very easy way to have a natural conversation and to ask questions and vice versa and have people know you. And this is a great opportunity for us to love people because as we have conversations, the Bible tells us as Christians is we can actually speak forth life into people. We're made in the image of God, so we're built for community, but we're also made in the image of God so we can speak forth life. 
When God spoke, he created life. And we can actually bless people and serve people with our words. God has given us a pure heart and we have his word and we can give that to other people. In Proverbs 16, 24, it says, gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. The New Testament would say, let no corrupt, corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Could you imagine if we were people and we all this week invited someone over to our house and just encouraged the junk out of them? Now, imagine if you got invited to someone's house and they just kept on just loving you and affirming you and just speaking truth over you and giving you encouragement. How blessed would you be? How much more so should be those that are far from God that the enemy is giving them lies, making them feel guilty for their sin, condemned, but there is no condemnation in Christ and we actually can herald good news. We've been told to speak the good news, the gospel that Jesus loves people, that he died for sin, that he rose again. And we don't need a microphone to do that. We can open up our home and we can say, hey, it's so good to see what's going on. One of the greatest gifts you can give people sometimes is just to listen. You don't even need to speak. Just ask questions. Two hours later, they're like, that was a great conversation. And you're like, no, it wasn't. I was just listening. But it's a great gift because there's so many lonely people that need conversation, that need community. And as we are with people and we're intentional, we can actually bless them. Think about the gospels and all the doctrine we have of Jesus. And then think about how much of that doctrine was at actually a meal. When the lady went down to his feet and worshiped him. And he said, don't rebuke him. Look at her faith. When the gospels preach, I'm gonna tell her about her. Like all this different stuff that we get from meals. And it's often said, people don't care how much you know unless they know that you care. So have the mindset to love people with your time. I mean, you guys get that, right? Because when you get asked, how you doing? Even out of our mouths, we say, I'm busy. It seems like everyone's so, so busy, busy, busy. But what if everyone was busy and we have a culture of busyness where we actually rest and stop and say, I'm gonna stop work. I'm gonna lighten God's grace. And I'm just gonna just believe that these people in my life are sent by God as gifts and pour into them and love them and serve them and just spend time with them. It's special when people wanna spend time with you. And you can do this. You can invite someone over. You can go get dinner. You can do these type of things. So use meals for community and conversation, but also use meals to celebrate. Now, I personally think this. Christians should be throwing the best parties of all time. Because if anyone has a thing to rejoice about, we got something to rejoice about. The Bible says that we are saved by grace and when we put our faith in Jesus. It's not like there and then. It's like right now we have eternal life, a living hope. Our sins are forgiven. We have the joy of the Lord in our heart. We should be celebrating. We should be enjoying life. And this is a part of our salvation because Jesus never leaves us nor forsakes us. We can be excited. We can be thankful. We can celebrate. We can control our attitude. We know how to celebrate as a culture. We just celebrated Thanksgiving and Christmas. And what do you do on Thanksgiving and Christmas? You got a pretty good meal. You eat. You have snacks. You have holiday. You have a whole category of specific food just to celebrate because that's how awesome it is. Jesus is better. I mean, have you ever thought, I'm just going to spend a hundred bucks 
on a meal and just bless someone and just go all out and just, it's gonna be amazing. Why? Because man, today is the day of the Lord, man. I just, just, we're alive. Let's just celebrate. Let's just enjoy. Part of our culture of celebrating as Christians is we actually have holidays, our holy days, and the Lord makes every day a holy day for us, a holiday. And so this is one of the reasons why people actually say grace or pray before a meal because we recognize in that day when we have our meal and celebrate and acknowledge God that this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. We have something to celebrate. And a lot of people, Jesus celebrated a lot of people with a lot of people because the gospel is that good. In Luke chapter five, verse 27 through 29, Jesus, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth And he said to him, follow me, follow me, come start a relationship with me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. I I hope you know that you can follow Jesus today. You could know him. All who are thirsty, come to me, he says. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have eternal life. But did you know the very next thing that this man did and Levi made him a great feast in his house. He welcomed Jesus, God himself, in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. Listen, some people think being a Christian is a killjoy, but it is totally not. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give, give you life. And in the Old Testament, it actually tells us to celebrate over and over and over again. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 26, You shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice and you and your household. This should be something, a part of what we do. Having a good time, celebrating God, thanking him that he gave us taste buds and we can get together and celebrate. And we don't even need a special holiday. We have a reason to rejoice every day because of the Lord and we can invite people in. And when they see our joy, the, the living hope that we have, we can say, well, it's because Man, I'm saved by grace. My life isn't perfect. I'm messed up. I'm going this way and I'm struggling. But yet in the midst of my struggle, God has met me in my struggle and he's with us. And today I can give him praise. Let's pray. Let's bless this food and let's enjoy God's grace because I am a Christian and I'm going to have God's grace for the rest of my life. And so can you. It's a free gift of God that you could know him. And even in the midst of your trial, he'll walk with you. We can share the gospel through meals. Lastly, we can use meals to care for people. I think this is somewhat important because we as Americans forget that a lot of people in our world go hungry. We should lovingly feed people and help people through meals. 1 John 3, 17 and 18, it says, but if anyone has world goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. James 2, 15 and 16 have the same idea. We should be providing people for very practical needs as Christians and those especially that are hungry and need food. It's a practical way we can love people. You may say, oh, it's awkward to invite them over to your house. Well, God says, love your enemies. In fact, feed your enemies. Romans 12, 20 through 21, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. A meal can provide physical need, but also emotional need as well. Because it makes people feel welcome, feel wanted, cared for. You know, there's something special when someone makes you a, a, a birthday pie or a special meal. And you know, in the Christian faith, hospitality is a big deal. So much so that it says the leaders of the church should have the gift of hospitality and express that. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. When we invite someone to our table and we include them and love them through hospitality, hosting meals for people, it expresses care and expresses love. Isn't it so hard sometimes to be like, where do I even start? Start with a meal. Start with celebrating who God is. Start with cultivating conversation and building community. We see Jesus did it. Because meals can create opportunity for mission because you can love people through meals. What do we do now that we just came out of a season of fasting? Well, we're gonna go to feasting. We're gonna go back to our everyday life. We're gonna be doing these things. But Jesus is still the Lord of our life. So I wanna challenge you. We have a few weeks before we get into community groups. Don't let be community groups the first time you guys get together as a church. Have a meal with one another. I mean, we have a five o'clock service. Go, go get lunch before the service. Go get dinner after the service. Go on a Tuesday. Go on a Monday. Whenever, get lunch with a coworker. Just think about your schedule and think about, start with just one or two meals a week. To have a lunch with a coworker, to host a meal, to have a potluck, invite people to come over. You can go really fancy or you can go really simple. Because we know meals are more than just food, right? How will you express and use meals for ministry? Because Jesus, he says, wisdom is justified by her children. He's correcting these people and thinking, listen, you think I have to be this way or I have to be this way. I'm coming to the everyday normal life, the losers, the rejects, the sinners, the marginalized, and I'm welcoming them in. And we're to do the same. We're not to go after the elite and those people that will bless us back. Even to our enemies, we're to just give and be generous and welcome them in. Use meals to build their lives, to speak words of encouragement over them, to build community, to contribute to their lives, to, to minister, to be hospitable, to care and to express love. And we all are gonna eat some meals this week. So why don't you include some people at your table? Jesus did. And aren't you so glad that he did? Because he not only included people at his tables physically, but spiritually. Before we close, is you have to think about the words of Jesus. He would ask people, are you thirsty? Are you hungry? For what? For God. A meal could be so much more than physical, but spiritual. Jesus said that he was the bread of life, that all who partake in him will find true substance. 
what we want to do is close our service by taking communion, remembering that Jesus came down to satisfy us. You know, the crazy thing about meals is you eat a meal, even when you're full and stuffed, then a few hours later, you want another meal. You just keep on eating. Or maybe, maybe you have this best meal, like a Thanksgiving meal. You take a nap and you're like, no, I'm good, I'm good. I couldn't eat, I couldn't eat anything else. Next morning, you're like, I like a turkey sandwich, wouldn't I? You just go over and over and over and over. And yet God uses the illustration to picture that appetite that we all have. And he says, why don't you partake of me? Why don't you get to know me? You're, you have this itch. You have that craving. You were meant for more. I will satisfy. And the Bible says that he actually went to the cross and it calls him his, he instituted this last meal with his disciples. And he said, listen, I'm going to make you a new covenant where you don't have to try harder and do more because you don't want to just go over and over and over and over again on your own works. I'm going to give you grace and truly satisfy you. And he said, so this is the bread broken and beaten for you. This is my blood that's going to remove your sin and, and forgive you and, and partake in this and be satisfied and come. Because a meal is more than just food. Come to me. I'm the bread of life, the bread from heaven. And then he demonstrated that love and died on the cross and rose again so that they would know that they can be satisfied in him. With our appetite, with our meals as ministry, Jesus gave us the ultimate meal of himself. We can be friends now with God because of what he's done. And we can keep on going back to him over and over and over again. So much so, he says, now when the church comes together, partake in a meal. Remember to partake in me and come again. As often as you gather together, drink the bread or drink the juice, drink, eat the bread as these elements that symbolize him and the work that he did. And so we're gonna take communion together. We're gonna close with the, a song and we'll partake in that. We have the elements right there in there uh, on the middle of the aisle. You can feel free to stand and take whenever you want. Let me pray. And then as we sing one song, you can reflect and we'll take it together. Jesus, we thank you so much just for your word. We thank you, God, that we can come from a, a season of fasting to a season of feasting and know that we could be used by you and all. Lord, just as you use intercessory prayer, we just pray, God, that you would use um, Lord, this next season of community groups, of normal routine, of just walking with you, God, uh, for your glory. Help us, Lord, to be hospitable, to be loving like you. Help us to know, God, that meals, Lord, are just an opportunity for mission, that you would just continue to use us to make disciples in this area, to bring you glory, to lift you high. Lord Jesus, I pray for those that may not know you, whether they be listening online in this room, God, that you would meet them right where they're at and that you would tell them that you love them, that you care for them, that you would remind them of your goodness and that they would come to you for living life, being satisfied in you. That's what we wanna do now, Lord, as we partake in communion, as we think about, Lord, just all that you've done on the cross, how you died and rose again for our sins. Now that we put our faith in you, God, we are saved. We're cleansed. We can be satisfied because you came from heaven to earth to be God with us. Broken people, sinners, saved by grace. And so help us to remember that. Help us to remember that we can have fellowship with you, that you desire that, that you've given us a meal. You've given us yourself to come to you over and over again. 
and to be our Lord and our Savior. So we repent, we turn to you once again, and we just look for your love to be satisfied. We give you all the praise, all the glory. To your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement, it was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you and thank you so much for listening.